You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren. This is Lauren, and I'm here with Tess. We are going to dive into our part two of our skincare ingredient episodes. So we're going to go ahead and talk about our um, the rest of the ingredients that we have on our list. We have this little... Um, this little like article from Birdie Skincare about um, just ingredients, like 30 ingredients that are super common and kind of ones that you should know about. So we left off on green tea. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And I think we should just dive right in. Our first one is going to be a humectant is an ingredient that you guys should know about. So um, according to Birdie, it's a substance used in skincare products to help skin hold on to moisture. Humectants can be natural or synthetic and include aloe, glycerin, hyaluronic acid, propylene glycol, and silicone. What are your thoughts, Tess, on humectants? Okay. I love humectants. Same. And... I think they're helpful for everyone because they're literally just going to bind moisture to the skin and hold it there throughout the day. So I love it in a toner and a moisturizer, especially Mm -hmm. like those leave-on products. And I think humectants are really important for oily skin types because I think a lot of times people will reach for oils because they have that nice like nourishing feeling but if you are naturally an oily person and you have a lot of oil present in the skin already you may just need water so humectants are a great way to keep the skin hydrated without overdoing it so you feel like a grease ball so these are some great ingredients to look for in your in your leave-on products aloe glycerin hyaluronic acid those are all wonderful and we have those in a lot of our Dermaplus products. So just a great way to keep water on the skin, essentially. Yeah. I think another one that's really, um, another humectant that's becoming really popular right now is um, honey. And mm-hmm. I know that it's not, obviously, I don't know if this even matters, but it's not vegan. I know a lot of people are really into like vegan skincare, but so obviously just a heads up, if you are vegan, you know, don't go with honey. You could use any of the other kinds, but honey is a really great humectant that also has antibacterial properties. So I like especially love honey products for anybody mm-hmm. who's acne prone because you get the hydration, but also that antibacterial um, effect from it. Mm, yeah. There's a brand called Is Clinical that has a really nice cleanser that has honey in it. And yeah, it just leaves the skin feeling really hydrated after using it. Obsessed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and also one thing to note about honey is that it's the same thing if you were to eat it. Um, You want to get one that's like unprocessed, like completely raw, unprocessed honey, like the honey bear that you see at the store, that's not going to be doing anything because <laughs> that's so like processed that all of like the benefits are gone from it. It's purely just sugar. So if you are looking for something um, or you, you know, you're into DIY skincare or whatever, just make sure whatever honey that you're using is going to be super raw and unprocessed. Right. And on that note, I wanted to highlight these types of 
food food ingredients, I would, like Lauren said, look for actual professional products that have these ingredients in them because these companies spend a lot of research and money investing in the formulations. And that's super important. You can't just go to your kitchen and find the same thing that's going to have the same delivery systems for your skin. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, that's a really great point. There's a lot of people that are putting lemon on their melasma or, I mean, baking soda as an exfoliant. There's just a lot going on out there that maybe you shouldn't be DIYing so much. Yeah, just say no to the Pinterest skincare. Yeah, it's cute, but it's not It's not actually that cute. So, <laughs> Okay, um, our next one is, I mean, a product that we talk about all day, every day. Want to live it, breathe it, inhale it, bathe in it. Hyaluronic acid, um, HA for short. Uh, According to Birdie, it's a naturally found component in skin tissue recreated synthetically to help restore, hydrate, and protect skin from environmental stressors. The ingredient agrees with almost all skin types. I don't know anybody that has had a negative reaction to hyaluronic acid. Have you ever experienced that, Tess? So that's a good question. I feel like not necessarily negative, but I think there's a couple things people couple ways people can go wrong with hyaluronic. So yeah, maybe actually three come to mind. So the first quote unquote complaint I've had someone say is that their skin actually feels drier after they apply a hyaluronic serum. Mm -hmm. So in kind of researching and thinking about why that would be. So hyaluronic is a humectant. It is actually pulling moisture from the air. So if you are putting the serum on your skin while it's dry, it you could actually end up feeling drier. So that's why it's important you want to put a hyaluronic on the skin when it is damp so that it is binding that moisture to the skin. Otherwise, it's just going to look for it wherever it can get it and pull that moisture out of your skin, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And you want to make sure you're also using a moisturizer with it. Um, yes. I've seen I've seen a lot of people that will they think oh hyaluronic acid it's so hydrating so let's yeah. just put it you know that's the only thing and and like you said that's not necessarily the the best thing because I mean our environment and dry air is going to be a lot more powerful of a force than your skin is so so basically your the environment will win every time it's going to pull the water out of your skin as opposed to pulling water from the air into your skin so you want to make sure that you have a moisturizer on top so that it's going to help to pull all all the water possible from that moisturizer into your skin and lock it in there yeah and even if you're extra dry maybe a little bit of a light oil at night to occlude mm-hmm. all of that good stuff in there. And one other thing I wanted to say about hyaluronic is the weight of it is so important. So there's different types of hyaluronic ranging from lower weights to higher weights. The ones that are higher molecular structure and weights are obviously not going to penetrate as deep into the skin. They're kind of going to sit on the surface and form like a moisturizing film. So it might, it's, I've also read that some companies actually choose these higher molecular structure types of hyaluronics because it feels to the consumer like it's more moisturizing really when it's just sitting on the surface and it's only going to have like a short time 
effect as opposed to something like sodium hyaluronate that is derived from salt that type of ingredient is going to have that lower molecular structure and it's going to work on a deeper level of the skin so over time it's going to have a more lasting like anti-wrinkle plumping hydrating healing effect Mm -hmm. so i prefer brands that use sodium hyaluronic and apparently it's up to the brand to disclose what type of hyaluronic acid acid it is they might say it's sodium hyaluronic they might just say it's hyaluronic acid so that can be a little tricky to discern but that is the type that i prefer and when we were asking lauren about like if anybody's ever had an adverse effect to hyaluronic it can to some people it might trigger a little bit of inflammation if they're super super sensitive and they are using a sodium hyaluronate that is going to just like penetrate deeper into the skin some people apparently experience a little bit of a reaction i haven't experienced that but that's kind of what i've seen um, in my research Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's all really good to know. And it's, I think, definitely an ingredient that everybody should should at least look into and try and just see because it really can provide so much benefit to your skin, especially if you live in a drier climate like here in Colorado. I I mean, I use my my hyaluronic acid every single morning because it's so dang dry here. Yeah. Or if you're traveling or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's a really good one to to look into. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say in that note is just be wary of the quality because I think words like hyaluronic acid have become so buzzworthy that you'll see it a lot on really cheap drugstore products or even in department stores. But a lot of times it's, you know, like the first word you see on a drugstore moisturizer and the quality may or may not be there. So just something to be mindful of. And it may end up being, you know, they might advertise hyaluronic acid on the front of the bottle, but when you look at the ingredients, it's like one of the last ingredients. So yeah, just make sure that whatever you're using is, is high quality, like Tess said. So next up we have jojoba oil, or as some people call it, jojoba. (laughs) (laughs) so by definition this is a lightweight fragrance-free plant oil that is incredibly effective at treating dry skin without the greasy effect of other plant oils like argan and coconut i personally Mm. love jojoba oil it's one of my Mm. favorites because it is one of those those oils like a squalene oil that um Mm -hmm. kind of mimics your skin's own sebum Um, so yeah, so it provides all the benefits, but isn't clogging. It's not greasy. Um, you know, even people with, with acne prone skin tend to be able to use this without, without issue. So I love one of my favorite plant oils. Hmm. And I think that's a good thing to mention too, as far as like, you'd probably normally think of just the oil as a topper, but if you are looking at cleansing balms and whatnot, I think it's still important to consider how comedogenic and how rich these oils are. So I think jojoba is, might be like a good option to look for in some sort of cleanser or first cleanse option. If you tend to be a little bit more comedogenic, I actually was working with a client the other week who 
we've really worked on her skincare routine and perfected things. But it's like the little things you find out. She told me, like we were trying to piece together why she might be having congestion around her eyes and these kind of like, they looked like little cysts and they were really deep in the skin tissue. And we were trying to figure out what it might be that's kind of triggering it. And then she let me know she was removing her makeup with coconut oil. And she was like, you know, I, she said it so casually. She did. She really didn't think it would have any effect. She was like, I do remove my makeup with coconut oil. And I was like, oh, no, we got to take that out. <laughs> Here's the problem. Like it just it all made sense because it was because it was in that eye area where the the tissue is really delicate. So just things, again, to be mindful of in terms of all parts of your routine, the weight of oils is really, really important. Yeah. So speaking of oils, the next one is on our list here is mineral oil. So Birdie calls this a colorless, odorless distillation byproduct of petroleum, often found in moisturizers for its ability to soothe skin and help it hang on to moisture. Mineral oil can be poor clogging for some, but it isn't shown to be as harmful as it's cracked up to be. Hmm. So this is, I think, a pretty controversial ingredient. I mean, it's a byproduct of petroleum, which I don't love, like for a number of reasons, because it. I have found it to be pretty poor clogging. Um, and I don't, I, I would hate to, you know, ever recommend this to somebody and have them come back with a major breakout. But mm-hmm. the fact that it's also a petroleum product to me just kind of raises red flags as mm-hmm. far as toxins go. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I mean, the sustainability of the planet, because as we know, oil is not a sustainable or renewable resource in our world. Mm-hmm. We will eventually run out and we are, you know, doing a lot of things to the earth, such as fracking and all this stuff to try to get, okay, I could go on. This is a, never mind. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. <laughs> this is like, I just get so crazy about like you oil. Like it's just like in full effect right now. <laughs> exactly. So if you're going to ask me, I would say stay away from mineral oil for your skin, for the environment, for everything, um, for, you know, your overall health. But but we did a little research on it. And I mean, like Paula's Choice says that it's, you know, rates it as a good product. It's it's an emollient. So it helps, you know, it helps, I guess, hydrate your skin a little bit. I would assume it to be a little um, occlusive because it is a thicker oil. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of juries out on it. Um, Inky Decoder says the same thing, that cosmetic grade mineral oil is obviously a lot different than... Um, you know, mineral oil that's used for, you know, mechanics or whatever Mm -hmm. the heck else it's used for. So, so I think that this is one where we were personally, I would say, do your research on it. I would never recommend it as like, you know, look for mineral oil and get that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's kind of one of those, those controversial ones that personally I stay away from, but do your research and kind of make your own choice. Yeah, I actually want to look up the how comedogenic it is. Oh, that's good to know. Comedogenic rating for mineral oil. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, because I think that I think that's one of the main things with oils is that people want to be careful and they want to know exactly what 
they're putting on their skin and you know, is it going to be comedogenic because coconut oil for so long, everybody was like praising it for being the best makeup remover and it's, you know, all natural moisturizer and everything. And then come to find out it's, you know, that's why everybody's breaking out. I've seen some conflicting points of view here. It must must just be very controversial. I think it also probably has a lot to do with the way that it's processed. Uh Uh-huh. As far as like if it's, you know, if it's processed highly, it's probably less comedogenic than if it's in its natural, more like petrolatum form. I don't know. Because I'm seeing two completely like, yes, it is comedogenic. No, it's not. It's a zero. Okay, I've seen two things that call it a zero now. Yeah. Let's see what self.com says. Let's see. Rob's your skin of vitamins. Um, <laughs> okay, here we go. Mineral, okay, rumor. Mineral oil causes acne. Mostly false. Mineral oil can exacerbate acne problems for some. However, most people will not experience any pro- oh no, any problems. In fact, in a study published in the Journal of Cosmetic Dermatology, cosmetic-grade mineral oil was found to be non-comedogenic, meaning it doesn't clog pores, which can lead to blackheads and acne. Um yeah, that's that's from self.com, everybody, by the way. Let's see. I guess it's it says if it's um, used in the cosmetic and pharmaceutical industry, it's highly refined and purified. Mm. Its mm. purity is even regulated by the FDA and other international regulatory agencies. I could find no evidence in any dermatological or medical journal indicating that cosmetic-grade mineral oil isn't safe to use. Okay. So I guess I would say as far as comedogenesis goes, it sounds like you've got to really make sure you're getting a cosmetic um, or pharmaceutical grade mineral oil and don't go to Home Depot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And just as far as use cases, one of the most popular products that I feel like, especially in the esthetician community that we refer to um, as far as having mineral oil is La Mer. Mm-hmm. And Laura and I, Lauren and I were just going through the ingredient deck and mineral oil is the second ingredient. So it's likely what gives the cream like a very nourishing feel like people. And I get that people crave that really luxurious, rich cream. Also interesting that petroleum is right after mineral oil so it's it's probably uh, yeah. just like a highly occlusive Ugh. cream Sounds but terrible. i know it's like for me i just wouldn't reach for that because i think there are other ingredients that are just more like lauren said similar to this the skin and the sebum's natural consistency so it wouldn't be the first oil i would recommend and i just don't hear it being recommended so yeah, definitely not. I mean, and just this is this is like another soapbox that we can get on about like the price of products mm-hmm. and really being an informed and educated consumer and reading the label because this is $335 for 2 ounces. Right. And the first and second or sorry, the second and third ingredient ingredient are are, um, you know, mineral oil and petrolatum. It's just like, they're incredibly, and like, regardless of how good or bad they are for your skin, those are 
incredibly cheap ingredients Mm -hmm. to put into a product. So their cost of production on this, I can guarantee Mm -hmm. you is nowhere near that. Like this is $5. It's an exorbitant price for this. And it's also, again, not the, if I'm paying $335 for a moisturizer, it's better. Even like the packaging is anything gorgeous, you know? It reminds me of like, the like old school stuff that my mom used to use and I, it may have yeah. even been Pond's cream I don't know but it has that you know it's probably like, the same <laughs> oh my god we should look that up I wonder oh my gosh we Let's should compare Pond's cream ingredients we're a little bit on a soapbox here about La Mer but I know I we are it. getting deep well the other thing I'm I'm noticing is there aren't really any humectants that I'm seeing not to mention there's literally denatured alcohol and perfume in the cream, but I don't see any water binding ingredients. They're literally just oils on oils Mm -hmm. on oils. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, Okay. The Pond's cold cream cleanser, first ingredient is mineral oil. Okay. Okay. So major, (laughs) major similarity there. Uh, water, Saracen, which I don't know what that is. Beeswax uh, is the next one. Triethanolamine. I don't know what most of these things are. Fragrance, acetyl alcohol, carbomer. At least they uh, use the fatty alcohol. Uh, no, I know. I literally <laughs> was just thinking that. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, you guys, save your money. Buy ponds if you love the feeling of this. Like, Gosh, don't spend $335. And it's so interesting under ingredients, like there's the actual ingredients and then above that it says key ingredients, like the things that are marketing. The first one is Miracle Broth TM, like they copyrighted whatever Miracle Broth Uh, is. I don't know what that is. What is Miracle Broth? That sounds like a bone broth. (laughs) No, like what? And lime tea? I mean, it sounds fancy, but I've never heard of lime as a key ingredient in any skincare product I've ever wanted to buy or recommend. No, no, not at all. I mean, maybe it's an enzyme. I don't know. I mean, lanolin (laughs) is also in here, which is like, you know, oil from a sheep. Interesting. Oh, gosh. Okay, so we don't love La Mer. (laughs) I think it's fair to say. And personally, I don't love mineral oil. I think that we got to close this chapter. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Let's move on. Let's talk about parabens. And we know this is a pretty controversial topic. I'll read a brief little description of the definition. So preservatives including ibutylparaben, propylparaben, methylparaben, and ethylparaben, which some believe contain a dangerous amount of estrogen, putting women's health at risk. These claims have largely been discredited by extensive research, though most brands still made their products paraben-free to comply with consumer beliefs. So Lauren and I were just talking about parabens and how the EU has come out saying there are studies saying that parabens have been found to affect women's hormone levels and estrogen levels. So it's a little bit controversial. And as soon as a study comes out like that, people start getting nervous, freaking out and word spreads. People want to start avoiding parabens. So brands start, you know, slapping 
paraben free on the label because they don't want to see their sales go down. So we've kind of found that there is research on both sides to to say parabens are harmful and to say there's not enough research to say they they are. So it's tricky if you are somebody like myself where you are dealing with maybe a thyroid issue or different hormone issues within the body, I would say in general, it's probably not worth disrupting disrupting your hormones to use a certain product, but parabens can be in your shampoos, your perfumes, and I would say those leave-on products are what's most concerning to me. And just the fact that, you know, I have been spraying perfumes on my decollete my whole life, right, where my thyroid gland is, concerns me a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think that it's so hard because it's such a controversial and split opinion on parabens. And I'm reading online right now that the EU has banned, um, completely banned five different types of parabens. So it's isopropyl paraben, isobutyl paraben, phenyl paraben, benzyl paraben, and pentyl paraben. So there will be a quiz. You guys, you guys all know those. Um, so five have been banned and then the others are strictly regulated. Um, but in the U S the, it says the FDA does not believe that parabens present a danger to our health when used in cosmetics. So, um, so any paraben is allowed here and there's, it doesn't sound like there's that much regulation on it. I just Can think you say that-, that Lauren, so sorry to interrupt. It just like raises a red flag to me because I'm thinking like Johnson and Johnson, like think of these huge yes. companies that, they probably have ties to and, you know, drive our economy. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, exactly. I just feel like, honestly, the more I learn, the more I am convinced that, you know, whether or not it's been strictly proven, I do feel like usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And I just would rather not take the risk. So for me personally, if there is a non-toxic alternative, I go for it. If there's something without parabens compared to something with parabens, I go for the no parabens. You know what I mean? I just think that personally, I, I don't think it's worth the risk. Um, especially because parabens don't do anything positive for your skin. It's literally just to make Mm -hmm. the product last longer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah. 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 And as we are reading, it, it seems like parabens are slowly being phased out. So if there are natural alternatives, it seems like why not go with that? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and kind of on the same little kick here, um, our next ingredient is phthalates, um, which Birdie calls a salt of phthalic acid that has been used in many hairsprays and nail polishes for decades, but that many consumers avoid for the fear that they are damaging to human health. Though the evidence for this is minimal, most brands have made their formulas phthalate free. So we were doing some research on phthalates and phthalates are what what's called a plasticizer. So basically it's used in plastics to make them more bendable and not crack and not break. Mm. So they're found a lot in like nail polishes so that your nail polish doesn't like crack off. And, um, and I think it's also, let's see, it, you can find them in cosmetic products under Um, It's not just going to say phthalate. It'll say like dibutyl phthalate or, you know, whatever the case may be. It'll be something, something phthalates, just like how parabens are. 
So, um, so they're used in hairsprays to help avoid stiffness by allowing them to form a flexible film on the hair. So I think, um, I don't know. I think this is another one that the jury is so out on this that I personally would stay away from them. And again, because they don't necessarily provide any benefit to the skin in general, it, it more is the look and feel of a product. Mm-hmm. So. Agree. Yeah, so this is kind of a heavy set of ingredients to end this, but I, but I think these are <laughs> I think these are good to to talk about, you know, and for because they're the ones I think that people are most concerned about, right, and the ones right. that are people have questions about, you know. Yeah, yeah. So even if we're just we may not be necessarily labeling things good good or bad, maybe it just gives you more information to yes. kind of question and and ponder your ingredient labels. Yes, exactly. So. Next up on our deck of things that are controversial is silicone. (laughs) Um, So silicone on Birdie, they call it a substance derived from silica that gives products a silky, slippery texture and can smooth the look of pores. The ingredient is not dangerous or suffocating to the skin, though some do not prefer the texture. Common silicones in skincare include cyclopentasiloxane, cyclohexasiloxane, dimethicone, and phenyltrimethicone. Yes. Okay. So I have a few things to say on silicones. And I think these are most commonly found in our primers and our makeup products, definitely probably some moisturizers. And in my research and understanding and kind of wanting to be able to recommend, make recommendations on makeup products, especially for my clients, especially for those who are dealing with acne, there tends to be this idea around silicones that the silicones are, you know, what's breaking people out. So this, like Bernie says, it's true. Silicones actually are non-comedogenic and they're not themselves pore clogging, but what they can do is allow other ingredients and products to penetrate a bit more. So this is kind of where they can be a problem. And so you'll oftentimes see like these words that end in cone, like we're saying dimethicone and silicone, trimethicone, these ingredients can drive certain oils deeper into the skin. And so for that reason, that's why I don't recommend them, especially in makeup products or different leave-on products. So that is my thought on silicones. Yes. Yeah. Silicones, I, I try to stay away from as well, just because they... Um, like Tess said, they kind of sit on top of your skin. I mean, if you don't, I find that they tend to dry the skin out as well, just because Mm -hmm. they create that barrier where nothing can get out and nothing can get in. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I have found, I used to, I tried this sunscreen. I won't say the brand, Mm -hmm. but I tried a sunscreen that had, um, what was it? Um, I'll have to think about it because it was it was one that I got at Target. It was a new one. Oh, okay. It's like reef safe. Um, yeah. Bear or something like that. Anyways, I'll look it up and we can leave it in the show notes. Um, but it has like the fun sparkly packaging. Um, and it's like relatively inexpensive. So I, I got it. And dimethicone is one of the like 
Mm-hmm. Not a top ingredient, but it's definitely higher on the ingredients list than I would have hoped for. And it was like, as soon as I put it on, I felt like my skin was, first of all, it felt very silicone Like I never felt like it fully rubbed in, which is what silicone feels like in high amounts. Right, right. Um, and I just felt like it created this like film on my skin that, that dried it out. I felt like moisture couldn't actually get into my skin. Um, so I didn't like it, but it's, it's also one that's found on like, um, you know, drunk elephant doesn't like silicones and I know they're a very controversial Mm. brand right now, but, um, but anyways, I think that silicone is another one that you have to kind of make your own choice on. It's a controversial ingredient and you might just, you know, not like the feel of it. So. Yeah. When I think of like the feeling of silicone, for some reason, I always think of like the Smashbox primers just because I feel like they're so notorious, especially in the YouTube makeup community for being like the OGs, like the best primers. Right. But they are really just like straight up dimethicone. Yeah. Yeah, So exactly. That's one that I see a lot is dimethicone. Yeah. And it's real slippery feeling. Like you'll know if there's a silicone high up on the ingredient ingredient list just by the way it feels. Yeah. And I feel like people will gravitate towards those type of primers because it makes the makeup last. You know, there's those products that claim like last 24 hours, like you can wear the makeup literally in water. It's waterproof. Those are like, if products are doing that, it makes me question it a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of makeup products that people don't necessarily end up taking the time to understand, but that can be harmful for the skin. So yeah, just something to be mindful of because a lot of people will spend so much money on their skincare routine and also just want to invest in the highest, you know, luxury ingredients that probably tend to have a lot of silicone in these types of things. Mm -hmm. So that is my rant. (laughs) Okay. So next up we have sodium hyaluronate, which tested a really great job earlier talking about, um, it's the salt form of hyaluronic acid considered even more effective as a moisturizing ingredient as it can absorb better into the skin. Um, we love sodium hyaluronate. I always try to look for it in, um, in formulations where they, where they promote hyaluronic acid. I, I think if you're promoting that you should have a sodium hyaluronate in there just because it's, it's much better, absorbed by the skin, you're going to get better effects from it. But again, as Tess mm-hmm. said that, you know, you could possibly see some, um, some irritation if you're super sensitive on the skin. Right. Yeah. All right. So I think that wraps that up since we kind of already talked about that. Yeah. Um, next up sulfates. So this is another controversial mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, Birdie calls it a group of cleansing agents found in many face washes, including sodium lauryl sulfate, ammonium lauryl sulfate, and sodium laureth sulfate, mm-hmm. which can cause sensitivity and dryness when used in excess or when left on the skin for too long, but are generally not shown to be as damaging as the cosmetic industry makes it seem. Those kind of statements, I think, are what's hard for me in mm-hmm. this article. Because I don't know who it's coming from. Is it coming from a beauty editor? Are they just trying to defend certain brands? Because if they post this, then they can't, you know, maybe have a sponsorship with a product that has, I don't know. I'm just being. Well, and I also don't see on this article, there's no, there's no source citations. So I would agree with that. It's just kind of, 
you know, and maybe they just need to, like you said, be kind of on the fence yeah. because the research is out. And, and I mean, Birdie, you know, represents a lot of different brands, but with sulfates, I think generally in the aesthetics community, they're, they're looked down upon because they're so harsh mm-hmm. on the skin. And I try to stay away from them. I mean, at all costs, pretty much because yeah. I mean, they're, they're so they're present in a lot of things like your yes. dish soap and your hand soap. And I mean, you can tell such a difference, especially here in Colorado. I wash my hands and, um, you know, if there's sodium lauryl sulfate in there, it just strips my skin to the point where they like crack and they flake. And it's just like, it's so dang harsh that I think this right. is one of those things that if you can stay away from it, then do. Yeah. It's like, do you want to be using the same cleansing agent in your face wash as you use on in your laundry detergent or your hand soap? Oh. And that's that's really interesting to pay attention to because I don't really look at the ingredients on things like my dish soap. Mm-hmm. But that's that's really interesting. So yeah, I think I think sulfates as a whole, I kind of agree with Birdie that as a whole they can be demonized when there are agents like sodium cocal sulfate which is derived from coconuts like that it's not coconut oil it's just a very gentle nourishing form of sulfate that is a great cleansing agent so when you compare that to sodium lauryl sulfate like they're very different and people it's hard for people to differentiate like such minute changes of the word that they end up just labeling the whole category as bad. Right. I told it's same thing with oils. It's like, you know, some, some are good, some are not so good. So I think that this is also where using, um, you know, a resource like Paula's choice or inky decoder to look up, you know, the exact type, if you have a question about it, really, um, really will help you in the long run, kind of discern between that. And also the same thing with alcohols. You know what I mean? You don't, some are good, some are not so good. So definitely do your research. And also if you ever have any questions, like ask us, we're happy to do the research for you. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned, Lauren, it can be in so many different things. And I do see things like toothpaste or shampoos with sodium lauryl sulfate causing a problem because, yeah, it's it's irritating. It can be stripping. And once you create inflammation and start dehydrating the skin, that's where you might experience breakouts. So, yes. Yes. All right. Exactly. Okay. So on to one that's a little nicer. We have vitamin (laughs) E, (laughs) which is a well-researched antioxidant that protects skin effectively against antioxidant damage and has been shown to be marginally more effective in its natural form than in its synthetic form. So you'll see this on ingredient labels as um, tocopherol is what it's called. Hmm. I didn't know that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love vitamin E. I think it's great. Uh, I've, you know, heard of people taking those like vitamin E capsules and rubbing them on like scars and stuff to help with, um, or like, you know, a cut to help it stop from scarring. Cause it's really great with antioxidants and super nourishing to the skin. I don't know that I would necessarily recommend that for the face. I think it can be a little thick, right? To put on the skin, I, but, but as I, an ingredient in something, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, so apparently it is lipophilic, it's mm-hmm. oil soluble, which means it can clog your pores. So just something to be mindful of. I think the thing about vitamin E is it tends to be in a lot of 
serums, like for example, the SkinCeuticals CE Ferulic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just with some people, I think it can be a little bit pore clogging. Yeah. It can also, be, it's also used, vitamin E is used as um, a stabilizer for things like vitamin C. So that's why you'll see those paired together a lot Yes, is because, yeah, it creates that, that chemical stabilization so that um, I mean, it's part of delivery systems and efficacy of products and everything. So you'll see that a lot. Uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely a good one. So, all right. It looks like the, the last two, I think we can kind of tie in together because you usually mm-hmm. won't find one without the other. <laughs> um, titanium oxide and zinc oxide. So titanium oxide is an earth mineral used in natural sunscreen as it protects the skin from UVA and UVB radiation with no risk of sensitivity. The ingredient is recommended for uh, for irritative redness prone skin and zinc oxide is another non-irritating natural sunscreen ingredient often used alongside titanium dioxide. So these are what are called, um, mineral sunscreens or, um, physical sunscreens because they, they basically lay on top of your skin and create a shield against the sun. These are my two preferred types of, of mm. sunscreen. Is which sunscreen do you use right now, Lauren? Right now I'm using Elta MD. That's what I I thought. And that one, it's a mineral sunscreen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I love like the idea of mineral sunscreen. I know for some people it just doesn't work well with their skin. And sometimes sunscreens are just tricky Mm -hmm. for that reason. So I say like the best sunscreen for you is the one you will use. Yes. So I think just different people, it can kind of be trial and error. Yeah, exactly. Like I found that um, that when I use chemical sunscreens on my face every single day, I mm-hmm. get I get sensitized and irritated by them. Mm-hmm. But when I yeah, I know isn't that interesting? Because I was using yeah. Supergoop, just their yes. everyday sunscreen, which um, yes. is a chemical, and it I mean the like tops of my cheeks just got so red and irritated, and it would sting when I put it on. And again, I didn't look too deeply into the ingredients, so it could have been something else. But I found that to be kind of a theme with um, with chemical sunscreens for myself. So um, it's one of those things with with sunscreen that like I tried so many until I found one that I actually liked. And even with Elta MD, I like it, but I do find it to be the slightest bit greasy. Mm. However, compared to everything else I've tried, this has been the absolute best. So it's one of those things you've got to try so many probably to find out what you like and what works for you. But it is also one of those in, one of those products that is so worth the trial and error because it yes. is an absolute non-negotiable. Yes. No. Yeah. And I think that tends to be the consensus. Like mineral sunscreens sit on top of your skin, so they kind of gunk up your pores. Whereas chemical ones are, you know, creating a reaction to the UV rays. So yeah, they might irritate the skin and causing a chemical reaction. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I just gotta kind of find find one that works for you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But it's worth it once you do, because it's something you've got to be using every single day. And I was actually thinking about it this morning as I was putting my sunscreen on, I was thinking like, you know, if there's, if there's one thing I could tell people to do, if they're not willing to buy any good products, they're not willing to do anything to their skin. Sunscreen is just the top number one thing that I recommend just for everybody. Cause it's the most anti-aging thing you can use. Yeah. And 
you see, I mean, sunscreen itself, no, it's not that great for the skin, Mm-mm. but it's, it's that protection that is the number one thing you can do yeah. for anti-aging. So yeah, best thing you can do for your skin. And I've, I've actually been seeing a lot of info out there lately, like on Instagram saying like sunscreen is, you, you know, like being used to uh, just for like false reasons and you need that natural vitamin D from the sun. A little bit of sun is good. Like if you're eating the right foods, you shouldn't need sunscreen. So I see kind of a lot of this like conflicting information Mm -hmm. that's almost trying to be controversial just, you know, to get clicks and attention. And it's just like, no, at the end of the day. Yeah. And I've also heard that, that in opposition to that, you get enough vitamin D through like the tops of your hands and your forearms. You don't necessarily like using sunscreen on your face every single day from what I understand. And again, I could be totally wrong. Just a little, you know, disclaimer here, but from what I understand from the research, you get plenty of vitamin D as long as you live in like a place that's sunny, like here in Denver, it's sunny every single day. So as long as you live in a place that gets adequate sun, even if you're using sunscreen on your face, you're still getting plenty of vitamin D. It doesn't take that much to get the adequate amount. No, I feel like that's just an excuse. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So we... We will drive that point home <laughs> until the day we die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you need your perfect. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up on our favorite thing in world in, in life is sunscreen. So, um, thanks everybody for listening, and let us know if you have any questions about any of these ingredients and you know or anything that we've talked about on this podcast. We'll leave all the you know links to Inky Decoder and everything in the in the show notes. And thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Thank you guys. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review. We'd love that. And we will talk to you soon. All right. See you in the next one. Bye. Bye.